Hi, and welcome to the Watermark Equipping Podcast, a monthly conversation about faith-seeking understanding from Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Caitlin Van Wagner, and I'm one of your hosts. And this is my co-host, Oren Martin, the Senior Director of Equipping here at Watermark. Hey, Oren. Glad to be here. How are you? Great. How are you? Um, Today, we're also welcoming back our guest, Blake Holmes. I was invited back. He was invited back. <laughs> I consider that a win. I consider it a win. You, you do. made the cut. Blake, yes. our lead pastor here at Watermark, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Glad to be here. We're back for episode three. Oren, why don't you tell them what we got in store today? Today, we are talking about one of God's greatest gifts to his people. It's mm-hmm. the church, uh, which Acts 20 tells us that Jesus obtained with his own blood. We're going to talk about what it is, why it's important, what it does. It's going to be a fun conversation. I'm excited. So actually, and the fun fact about this episode is it's actually going to be a two-parter because we got in a room with a whiteboard with you two talking about and y'all, the church, and y'all were so excited. We had way too much content. <laughs> way so too we much. said, this is going to be two-parter. <laughs> so we're going to do part one today, and we'll do part two next time. All right? Great. Are we ready to get started? Ready. Okay, great. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but we are going to start in the basics, with the basics. I'm going to ask some really simple questions about the church. So we're going to start with, simply, Oren, what is the church? How would you define it? How would I define it? Well, actually, glad you asked. Uh, because I wrote a hundred-word definition of uh, what it is. A hundred-word definition. A hundred words. That, that's what happens when you write, when you ask a former seminary professor, okay. what is All the right. church? You you get these okay. hundred-word definitions. Break off your hundred-word definition for us, and I'm going to bet I'm not going to be able to remember it and recite it. So we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. okay so what is what is the church? Give it, hit, hit, hit me with it. All right, here it is. The church is the new covenant people of God brought about by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ— filled with the Holy Spirit, and consists of local gatherings of baptized believers. Her ministries include preaching the word, administering the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper, and exercising church discipline. Her purpose is worship, preaching, discipleship, and taking the gospel to the world for the glory of God in Christ. Okay. That was 100 words. Yeah. That was excellent. Something like that. And you wrote that? I wrote that. Wow. Yeah. Is there any way to simplify that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say— Just for us, and maybe like don't Martin. have a PhD. <laughs> Dr. Martin, for us average folks yeah. out there, what did you just say? I have an English major, so okay. just like yeah. help the me. The church is the people of God in Christ who gathers and scatters. The people of God in Christ who gathers and scatters. Yep. And that is the church. And underneath the gathers is a whole host of things. Okay. And underneath the scatters is a whole host of things All that right. we can talk about. Okay, so I want to just make a point here. Yep. So it's interesting to me. One of the reasons why, Caitlin, what you alluded to, Orrin and I had, I don't know, a two-hour conversation with you earlier, and we were on a whiteboard, and we were writing so many things down, is because I think so often the doctrine of the church is overlooked. Mm-hmm. Even in even in seminary, candidly, we read um, books on uh, soteriology, okay, or the study of salvation. We, we read about church history. We take Greek and Hebrew classes and all those things you do in seminary, but I just don't remember as great a focus on the doctrine of the church. And it's something that we don't talk about that much. I think it, because people just assume, well, the church is just the building down the street. And so I'm excited we could unpack this and uh, better understand your 100-word definition, because I think it does require some thoughtfulness. Okay, Blake. So you're an elder here at our church in Dallas, Watermark. Yep. And one of the strategic priorities the elders put forth uh, in front of us about a year ago was you wanted to deepen the theology of God and his church. That is correct. So this feels like a passion point. It is a passion point because I think we have on the whole, not just Watermark, but um, 
within the church in America, largely, is we have an anemic ecclesiology. I don't know what that means. An insufficient understanding of the significance okay. of the church. Okay. We, um, we have a, a very um, narrow view of the church as simply a building where people gather. Mm -hmm. And I think the Lord has something so much for us. It's something, uh, it's a provision, it's a means of his grace. And I think we've been robbed of the riches of what he wants us to understand and the significance of what he is accomplished for us through his son, Jesus. So I, it is a passion point because I think too many people are not availing themselves and I don't understand the joy that comes from the privileges of being a part of a local church. So you're excited. I am excited. Oh, wow. Well, I'm excited. All right. So the answer to what is the church is a the people of God who gathers and scatters. And we're going to spend the rest of the episode talking a little bit about that. So let's move on to the next question. All right. so the next question I have for you is what makes up a church? What are the essential components of a church? Blake, do you want to take a take a stab at that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think this is a really good question because I think, especially during the pandemic, this question I think was asked often mm -hmm. because people were watching, watching quote unquote church online, and then people were continually. I would hear people say, "Well, you know, really the church is," and they might name a few friends that they gather with, and really, again, this goes back to an incomplete understanding of what the church is. So. Um, this, these aren't my ideas. The reformers really helped us understand the components of a church, what what makes a church. Mm -hmm. And what they would argue and what they offered in the, argued in the Protestant Reformation is, first, there's an established leadership, so such as the okay. office of elder, okay? So for there to be a church, you first need leaders, um, elders. Secondly, you need to see the practice of the preaching of God's word. Um, we believe the Bible is inspired word of God, and it is central to our worship, to our life, uh, and to our faith and how we live out and walk with God. So you see the preaching of God's word. Thirdly is the practice of the ordinances. So the ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then many re uh, reformers, and often you'll hear people say, and the, the fourth one is the practice of church discipline. And so that those are really the four component parts of, hey, what makes up a church? And it really does argue against the idea of it's just me and a buddy mm -hmm. who, you know, meet and ride bikes on Saturdays. And now we may be a part of the church because we trusted in Jesus Christ. But in terms of what makes a church and what God has established for us, what he's doing here on earth, the local church incorporates those four parts. Okay, so those four parts are, let me make sure I got them. They're government or leadership of the church. Mm -hmm. There's preaching, there's ordinances, right. and then what's the last one you said? Um, some would argue church discipline. Church discipline. The exercise, okay. the exercise of church discipline, which uh, allows for really um, the accountability of the purity of the church. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're going to actually get to church discipline in part two of this episode, yep. but there is a question I have for you. So okay. here at Watermark in Dallas— uh, community is a really big part of our ministry. So we have community groups um, that are closed. So I've been with the same group of women for four, four or five years, right? We've, we've done life together for four or five years. So is my community group, we're all part of the church. You're, you're part of the church, correct. Are we a church? Not in and of yourself. Okay. You're not a church because there's not the establishment of elders, the establishment of or practice of the ordinances. Um, and you, you, there's... Uh, accountability that you share. You're an expression of the local church. Okay. But in and of yourselves, just as a community group, you're not the church. 
Okay, great. So what if I'm part of a parachurch organization that great has question. several of those elements probably in place, the preaching of the word, potentially ordinances, right? Um, well, maybe, but maybe not appropriately. Okay. Okay, so you okay. might see an appearance. I know it's a hot sports All right, wow. So, I'm and so again, this, this goes again to why I think there's an anemic view of, great. Uh, of the church. Yeah. And we have an anemic ecclesiology. So what's the difference between a parachurch organization that might be have a Bible study component and a church? Okay, well, first of all, I'm a parachurch kid. I'm very grateful for the parachurch. I want to be really, I want to be really clear. But I think the parachurch exists because the church has failed to fulfill its responsibilities in many ways. Okay, so I really think it's an indictment on the church. I think if the church were doing its job, you would not see the parachurch. Okay. Okay. And I don't think, you know, Blake, you wouldn't say that that undervalues or or looks down upon parachurch ministries at all. There's there's value. No, I think, oh, I think, that's what I'm saying. I'm right, a parachurch right. kid. Yeah. My, I um, have been uh, incredibly blessed by the, the parachurch. Yeah. It reached me as a young man mm-hmm. and blessed me. So um, I see ways in which God is using that. But we're, we're having just a kind of a strict, so to speak, conversation about, well, what does God's word have to say? What does church history teach us on the the definition of the church, the role of the church, mm-hmm. and then what is the parachurch? Yep. And so I think the parachurch is a um, a partnering organization that mm-hmm. looks comes in many forms, yep. whether it's devoted to youth or students mm-hmm. or um, business or what have you, that comes alongside right. of the church to support and help her. But everybody who's part of a parachurch should be part of a local church. Yeah. And everybody who's a part of a local church needs to be participate in a parachurch. Yeah. So that's what that's what Got I'm it. And I love the name of parachurch because it, it even signals that it's not the church, right? It's something mm-hmm. that something that comes al- alongside or is is outside of the church to minister alongside the church. But but the the best of parachurch organizations serve in such a way that they are a funnel to local strengthening churches. the church. That's exactly okay. right. They they work to strengthen the church. And um, and as, as Owen said, the best of parachurch ministries do that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think all of them do that yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as well as they could. Which okay. is why I think Blake and I would argue that parachurch ministry should not replicate things that the church is called to be and to do mm-hmm. in terms of uh, a specific kind of preaching, uh, the ordinances of baptism, the Lord's Supper, or sort of stuff. Because they supplement. They need to supplement. They right? need to supplement. And, and they shouldn't be a place— they shouldn't replace the church. So, I, I mean, I, I, just to speak very pragmatically. So, you think about—I um, told my kids when they went to college. I said, when you go to college, you need to find a church. You need to become a member of a mm-hmm. local church. There's a ton of wonderful parachurch ministries where they go to school. But I, I was very clear, don't allow that to become a substitute for being a part of a local church. Mm-hmm. It's an amplifier. Right. That's okay. exactly right. Excellent. But when it comes to actually defining what a church is, it's those four aspects, which is leadership or government, um, preaching of the word, ordinances, and church discipline. Yeah, and that feels really cold and sterile to me, so I want to I want to see if I can state this another way. When you think leadership and government, why that's important is that God, authority is a good word, mm-hmm. okay? And I think today we don't love the word authority. We bristle against that. Mm-hmm. But authority is protective and it's provisional. So what God has done through the authority, the the office of elder um, and the leaders in the church is he's given his people um, a means of protection 
and provision. There's the preaching of God's word. There's accountability to live out his word. There's um, the practice of ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism, which I know we're going to unpack a little bit later on. And then that that discipline, discipline's a, a dirty word which we don't like, but um, we don't want to shy away from it because it's a word in which yeah. God uses um, very frequently in the in the Bible, that God disciplines those whom he loves. I discipline my kids, not in a punitive, angry manner, but because I want to help them. And so that's the whole picture that the Lord speaks of in the book of Hebrews, is how he mm-hmm. disciplines us like a good parent would discipline a child. So within the church, what you see that is the household of God is what Paul talks about. Mm-hmm. It's the household of God. Think about a healthy, functioning family. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have in the church. So my kids are a part of my family where they're loved, cared for, nourished, instructed, corrected. And they benefit the, from friends and neighbors and those around them like a quote unquote parachurch, but they're part of my family and they sit at the table where we, Rebecca and I, serve a meal every night. So the point I hear you saying is that while it's made up of those four things, you don't want it to it's also a family that encompasses those. That's things. exactly right. So it's think not sterile. That's right. Like we're we're speaking a little theologically, yeah. and I think kind of in wooden terms, because I do think it's helpful to understand the theology behind all this. But just so we don't lose people, I want them to understand the heart behind what God is trying to do. Yeah, He's providing us a home. Everybody needs a place to belong. That's the way we're wired, mm-hmm. and the church gives us a place to belong under a good Father. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to think of it as, um, in my home, we have very intentionally have a round table where we share all of our meals. And I have four kids, Rebecca, four kids. So there's six of us. And um, let me tell you something. I know when one of my kids is not not home, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've got two kids in college. When you got two empty seats mm-hmm. at that table, it's a little painful, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, man, I miss them. And when they come home and it's all of us together. And so it's a place to belong. And in the church, that's we have a seat at the table with God's family. Okay, awesome. All right, so let's move on to what is the history of the church? Where did it come from? I think it's easy to think we live in Dallas. There's a, We're blessed to live in a city with a ton of churches. Churches almost feel ubiquitous. There's a church in every corner, but that wasn't always the case. The church actually came from somewhere. So Blake, why don't you tell us, what is the history of the church? Where did it originate? Okay, well, uh, maybe a whole nother podcast for another day because Oren could share way more on this than I could, but I, I want to just acknowledge there's debate around this. Okay, so it's not okay. as simple as um, what may seem there's debate over um, the relationship primarily around Israel and the church. Mm-hmm. But what we believe, a watermark, is we believe that the church began in Acts chapter 2. When um, you have Jesus is resurrected, right? And um, he ascends and gives us his spirit. So the church begins when the people of God are indwelt by the spirit of God. Now, others might argue with me and they would say, oh, well, the Old Testament— um, is the people of God, and they're part of the church. And so there's debate there. Okay, mm-hmm. I just want to say. Um, but it, in our faith tradition, we do see a, a distinction. And um, I'm not arguing that Old Testament saints aren't with God um, I'm in heaven. I'm not saying that. But when you're talking about the institution of the church, I believe it began in Acts chapter 2. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? Um, in Acts chapter 2, you see, it, it, that's Pentecost, 
Um, and that is when Jesus ascends and then he gives us his spirit because he said he wasn't going to leave us alone, leave mm-hmm. us as orphans. So now, instead of Jesus, um, fully God, fully man, walking the earth, now um, his spirit resides in each of us. He's still present with us. We don't go to the Father um, and worship him at a central temple in Jerusalem anymore. Mm-hmm. Now we are the temple of God. God's spirit lives in us. And so that's unique. That did not happen in the Old Testament where the people of God were indwelt by the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so can I ask a question? Please. So, so when does that happen? All right, so Jesus ascends. And what, what's the event between his ascension and the giving of the spirit? What, what happens to bring about the giving of the spirit? We're going to talk about this a lot, right? Peter preaches the gospel. Okay. Right, so so Jesus, right in Matthew, you know, sixteen, uh, commissions Peter, uh, who confesses Christ, to say, okay, Peter, to you, um, I've given the keys of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've given to you the authority to exercise the keys, right? And that authority is tied to the preaching of the gospel, right? So so Peter then is is using those keys of the kingdom, right? That that uh, that commissioned authority by Jesus when he preaches the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ. And at that moment in Acts 2, the Spirit comes upon the people. Which I think, I I love the fact you asked that question because I think it's helpful for us just to look at that passage. So Matthew 16, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now this passage is notorious for misunderstanding. We do not, we are not Roman Catholic in our theology. We do not believe that God is building his church on Peter the person. Mm -hmm. We believe that Jesus is building to Orrin's point, he's building his church on the profession, the gospel profession. And, um, and so that's really important. And, it, and again, it goes to, hey, what is the church and when did it begin? Um, and so, Orrin, you want to add anything else to that? Or? No, 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 no. I think it's a, super, a very important point, right? That it's not it's not Peter uh, in and of himself. There's no intrinsic authority that Peter now has. Now, now we, can, we can say that because on the heels of Peter rightly confessing Christ, right, you are Jesus, right? The Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and Jesus blesses him because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to him. He didn't figure that this out by his own intellect, right? But 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 the Father who revealed this to him. And then what does Peter do when Jesus kind of uses that moment to say, okay, now that you understand my identity as the Messiah, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to go suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, Peter uh, like rebukes Jesus, right? This this can't happen, right? The Messiah is supposed to bring the kingdom, right, in its fullness. And and what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter. He says, "Get behind me, Satan!" Right. So it's not Peter who has the intrinsic authority in and of himself. It's it's Peter as he rightly confesses Christ. That's right. And we see at Pentecost them rightly confessing Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Crucified, risen, ascended, now reigning as he's seated at the Father's right hand. And now we see the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost and the preaching of the gospel. And it's an amazing event. So. I want to go back to what you're saying. So what is the church? And it's helpful for us to see this in context. It begins in Acts chapter 2. Okay. But um, we have to recognize we're part of a grand drama, if you will, mm-hmm. that began from eternity past and and we're a part of it today and it continues. Yes. Okay. And um, you see that in Ephesians chapter 1, that God loved us before the foundation of the world. 
And so we need to see our part in this. The The Old Testament spoke of the age in which they lived mm-hmm. and an age that was to come. Mm-hmm. What they couldn't understand, which we now are able to understand by God's word and history and perspective, is that when Jesus came, he inaugurated his kingdom, okay? Mm-hmm. He came, he offered his kingdom. He is the um, true Israel. He was rejected by Israel. But when he died and then rose again, he ascended, he gives us his spirit, what we see is an already not yet aspect of his kingdom. There are already truths, um, uh, principle or promises rather that he has fulfilled, but there is an expectation of what is to come. His spirit, in fact, is a down posit, mm-hmm. right? It's for us um, in recognizing, hey, we're not done yet. There's mm-hmm. an already not yet aspect even in our salvation, right? He who began a good work in you, he will complete it on mm-hmm. the day of Christ Jesus. So I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will ultimately be with him and no longer tempted by sin, mm-hmm. right? Or um, or fall prey to, to evil. So, um, and then God is also bringing his kingdom to earth. There will be a day where Christ will create the new heavens and the new earth. He will reign supreme and all will know him mm-hmm. fully and just as he is. So um, when you think about when the church began, I, it begins in Acts chapter two, but this isn't like a new idea. This is an unfolding of God's eternal plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the church began potentially as an institution in Acts chapter two. Is that a way to think about yep. it? Mm-hmm. Okay, Absolutely. it began as an institution in Acts chapter two, but it was always part of God's grand narrative mm-hmm in the redemption story of his people. And it's going to continue for all eternity. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes, that's exactly what you hear. And I think a couple more things I would say on this, because I do think we want to deepen people's theology of God in this church. And I'd love for you to talk to this too, uh, Warren, is also historically theologians have spoken as the church as being local and universal. So, Warren, you want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I would say, you know, when we read the New Testament, the the general pattern of the New Testament is to emphasize the local church, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, when we actually see, you can you can do, you know, search on your phone or whatever, computer, whatever it is, church in Scripture, and you'll, you'll see it primarily used in in ways that, that speak of the local gatherings of churches. So, the church at Corinth, the church at Thessalonica, uh, the, the churches of Galatia, right? They're, they're local churches, but but there's another sense in which um, you know Jesus is reigning over His church, which we would call the universal church, which okay. which I would say something like uh, church, the churched people of God in Christ throughout space and time, past, present, and future. Uh, that's the universal. That's church. the universal okay. church, right? That so, we are part of locally. Yes. Okay. Yep, and that's expressed, right? The universal church is is expressed through local gatherings of believers as we gather to to hear the preaching of the word, uh, to see the word in the uh, ordinances of baptism, the Lord's supper, to sing the word, to pray the word, to to, to minister the word to one another, and to be sent out to proclaim the word to the nations. Mm-hmm. What I love about what you're hearing is, so we are in Dallas. Our local expression of the church is connected to Acts 2 specifically, yeah. is what I hear you saying. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's incredible. Amazing. Which is connected to God's plan before the foundation of the world. Yes, yeah. and is connected to all other churches. And so. there's a place of belonging. This is what's so important. We we just live in this individualistic, consumeristic, myopic, um, <laughs> North Dallas way of thinking about church. Mm-hmm. And, and we de- are deprived of something so grand that God is trying to show us. I think we think in too simplistic of terms. Well, I'm, 
I'm a believer and I'm part of the universal church. Yes, but God has something for you in the provision of the local church. Other ways in which theologians spoke about this is uh, visible and invisible church. So the visible church that we see and then the invisible church, the people of God that God sees. Or going back to this age, the inaugurated kingdom and the age to come, even the militant church and the triumphant church, Mm -hmm. because we live in a fallen world. So um, Jesus reigns supreme, but he has left us here to be a salt and light Mm -hmm. in a fallen world, Mm -hmm. to proclaim his gospel. There is still an enemy who is on the loose. We still fall prey to temptation. We are at at war with... um, with the flesh, um, with Satan, and with the world. Mm-hmm. The, that, those are, that's the triad. Those are our enemies, okay? And, and we are to battle against them. The, the church is to be the light that, that points the way of truth and exclaims the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So we are, we are in a war, but there's also the church triumphant. And those are the saints who have gone before us who are now with the Lord and are free from sin and death. Mm-hmm. And so th- these are just... Um, I mean, when you're able to stop and really unpack and think about God's grand design, what he calls us to in this place of belonging, the home he brings us into, it's much more than just kind of theological jargon. And it gives you peace. It gives you a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. It gives you... Um, it gives you hope in a fallen world. There's so many implications to this. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful picture? I think it's in Revelation 20 where, you know, you have, you know, in the in the context of, of, of John writing to a persecuted church, you, you have them being put to death for their faith in Jesus mm-hmm. as they're battling against the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, as they're putting to death sin, right, as Paul says, which, you know, the militant church is not one who takes it by physical force, right? It's not like Peter lopping off people's ears. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's it's a it's a it's a spiritual On fight, mission. right? Because yes. we yeah. we uh, we don't battle against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and so on and so forth. But you know, you have this picture in Revelation of people who are being put to death, and then you have the the prayers of of those who have been martyred, and and what's the picture of them? Picture of them, they're mm-hmm. with Jesus, triumph, triumphed. Right, so this is to this is to give hope to those who are being persecuted to say, you know what? Even if they push you to death, that's actually the best thing that can happen to you, mm-hmm. Be- because they can't take away your hope in Christ. Right, your future is not death. Your future is reigning with Christ, mm-hmm. just like these martyrs that are that are praying, that, that are that are uh, that are singing God's praises. That's a, that's an amazing picture to to help us persevere in the Christian life. Okay. That's awesome. So we've talked about a couple of different frameworks. So we've talked about local and universal. We've talked about militant and triumphant mm-hmm. is the phrase I used mm-hmm. and I heard you use. And then we've also I've also heard visible and invisible. Correct. Okay. What is the connective tissue between all three of those things? The gospel. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> it's okay. the gospel. I mean, I don't I'm trying to not just give you a, yeah. a, a the Bible study answer, but it but you have to understand it the gospel, the yeah. preaching of God's word the confession of Peter. Yeah, the, the, the good world. news that Jesus has come mm-hmm. and he has ushered in his kingdom so that those who trust in him that turn from their sin are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the, the to, to the kingdom of God's beloved son, right? So we are part of his kingdom because the kingdom has come yet. We await the future when the king will come again mm-hmm. and he will finish what he began by his death and resurrection and usher in a whole new creation. So those are three different types of, can I say frameworks for understanding the gospel and his plan for his people? Understanding the church. The yep. church, okay. Yep. Which is, which is founded upon Great. the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, other ways in which to think about this, which I think is helpful, is um, the nature of the church. So four uh, characteristics, you know what I mean by that, is the church is one, it's united, 
in its belief about the gospel, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, that it's holy. And what I mean by that, it, it's sanctified. It's it's not that it's perfect, yeah. okay? Uh, but it, we're um, those who have been declared righteous, justified mm-hmm. through the gospel, but being sanctified, being made like Christ mm-hmm. and waiting the time of glorification. Um, that it's Catholic, it's universal. Um, little C Catholic. I mean right? Little C Catholic, yeah, not yeah. Roman Catholic. Yeah, universal. And apostolic, that it's founded on the teaching and preaching of God's word. Yeah. So that that's the nature of the church that's one holy Catholic ap- apostolic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are different, what we just have talked about. Um, will you repeat those four that you just talked about? Uh, one, holy, univer- universal, apostolic. And these are four important terms that have been used for Almost two millennia. Which we affirm in the Apostles' Creed, yes. and this this is the nature, what's the nature of the church? Okay, hey, great. We'll, we're one, we're holy, you know, so think about that. I know that some people bristle at that, and they're like, well, we're holy. No, you're not. The church is filled with, you know, craziness. That is true. Mm-hmm. The church is filled with craziness. No one's claiming that, that anyone in the church is perfect or to, is without sin. Of course we are. What we're saying, though, is, is that God is calling. He, he has done the work to save us and to declare us righteous, not us. Mm-hmm. He has done that. And, um, and it's our job as the church to, decl- to call out what is sinful mm-hmm. and to call people to repentance and to live in accountability with one another. We don't turn a blind eye to sin. You know, it's really interesting, and I know we'll talk about this later on. We're talking about church discipline, and people, they're like, church discipline, that sounds terrible. But then the moment you don't practice church discipline, it's like, oh, what a bunch of hypocrites. Look, they just don't even care about what happens. And you're like, no, 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 no. You you need to understand church discipline is God's loving provision so that, that his church could walk in purity mm-hmm. and walk in obedience and reflect his character. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've talked a little bit about— what makes up a church. We've talked about the history of the church. We've talked about our last uh, couple minutes we spent talking about different aspects or ways to understand the church, some different frameworks, if you use my word. Okay, now I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church, Oren? I would say the purpose of the church is uh, to gather for the purpose of worship, uh, preaching and teaching, uh, fellowship, Prayer. So, so really, that comes from Acts two. That's what the early church was doing uh, at Pentecost when they, uh, when when Peter preached the gospel and three thousand were saved. They were they were gathering for the purpose of, of worship, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Or what we would say, you know, part of that is uh, is the, the observance of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And so we still retain uh, that, that. That's why we gather together uh, each Sunday is for worship, for preaching of God's word, for fellowship, for prayer. And, and for discipleship, right? Okay. As uh, as as we seek to to bring people to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel, and also uh, see see people mature in Christ or grow in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, so of those five things that I heard you say, so I heard you say worship, yep, teaching or preaching, fellowship, prayer, discipleship. Yep. Okay, of those five things, is one of them more important than the other? Are they all equally important? Yeah, what do you think? I, I would say all of them are important. I would say the the fount from which all the other things flow is the preaching and teaching of God's word. So teaching is the most important. Teaching is the most most important, important purpose right. of the if, church. If, if, that feels like a hot take. To yeah. Me. Well, I'll, I'll Talk quote. To me about uh, it. So I'll quote John Calvin, who said, okay. "Where you have the right preaching of the word, there you have a true church." 
or the pure preaching of the gospel. There you have a true church. And what he means by that is if you get the gospel right, if you get who Jesus is as the word who became flesh and what Jesus did uh, for us and for our salvation, as the early creeds put it, and you're, and you're declaring the whole counsel of God in Christ— mm-hmm. Uh, then the other the other marks or qualities uh, will will flow from that. There you'll have uh, rightly ordered worship. There you'll have rightly ordered fellowship. There you'll have rightly ordered prayer. There you'll have rightly ordered discipleship. So if if you remove that element, I think about playing Jenga, the, the game Jenga with my kids. If you remove the block of teaching, the whole the whole structure crumbles. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it's all based on this. Because it's all to based go back on to the right our last the episode, a callback, if you will. Yes. Starting with the Bible. That's right. Starting with the Bible. Okay. So I hear f- of the five things. Did you have something, Blake, you wanted to say? Uh, well, I would just, I would want to add to, um, it's it's important what everything that Oren just shared and the, the centrality of the preaching of God's word. So the reformers also spoke of the regulative principle, mm-hmm. meaning that we don't, when we come to church, we don't just get to gather and worship God in the way that makes sense to us. He has told us how we are to do this. And he has given us his word. And you think of things like Leviticus 10. Um, I know we're talking I about have Leviticus. That off, I have that I know. memorized. It's, it's, yeah, it's, well, we in all case do. I forgot it, so tell me there, what's in Leviticus so it's 10. So it, there are these two men, Nadab and Abihu, who offer a strange fire to the Lord. And they are severely punished for it. And when we read it in today's terms, we're like, man, that seems a little... That seems a little harsh. Or um, Moses strikes the rock, and because he strikes the rock, the Lord's like, hey, you're not entering that promised land. Um, Or God tells them, when you read through Leviticus, that's why we should read through Leviticus, truly. Mm -hmm. When you read through it, there are so many particulars. There are so many particulars. Everything's the temple is designed a certain way. The way they are to approach the Lord is very specific. The whole point is this. We don't, in our autonomous authority, um, self-authority get to say this is the appropriate way in which we come to the Lord. No, that is not it. And that's why what Oren's saying, the centrality and preaching of God's word, it is from that at worship flows and we are given instruction. We don't just get to come to church and go, you know what, really, I, this is what I prefer. Why don't we just read Shakespeare today and forget about what the Bible has to say, right? Because Shakespeare somehow um, inspires me. Or why don't we come today and we're going to watch a great artist paint a sunset? Because we love we love <laughs> art. That's not what we do. So we gather around the teaching of God's word and from that everything else flows. So the examples you gave earlier from Leviticus were examples of disordered worship. That's right. Yes. And, and just pr- making the point that it is God who instructs us on how we are to come to him. Okay. We don't We don't decide it's not mm-hmm. a cafeteria approach. We have such a consumeristic mentality that um, that I, that I think we fail to recognize the importance and centrality of God's instruction to us. He's given us explicit instruction as to what the church is, how it's to be ordered, how it's to be led, um, and how we as the body of Christ are to follow him. Okay. So the purpose of the church is what I heard, worship, teaching, fellowship, prayer, and discipleship. And the foremost, a foremost important is preaching and teaching of God's word because from that flows ordered worship and ordered living. Get, the gospel, get, get, get the gospel right and everything else will fall in place. So who is Jesus? What was he doing on the cross? Okay, great. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about, we mentioned it earlier, it during specifically during COVID, um, there was a question about online church. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about how do we think 
about online church. What would you say about that, Oren? Yeah, um, if I may, I would say an online church is like an unmarried husband. Okay, let's let's. There is no such thing. Got it. Uh, and so I say this it that way. This is another hot take. <laughs> I love maybe, it. Maybe, maybe I, I love say, it. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Well, because I get that from the, the very word church, right? Means it's an assembly, right? Okay. The, the, so to say the, the, uh, an online church is a non-assembled assembly, right? It's saying people can stay home and not assemble with the assembly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I don't want to discount the, the gift that it is that we have technology where people can, in seasons of life, um, you know, maybe uh, it's it's a mother with a, with a baby uh, who can't come to church, or be, yeah, chronic or illness, chronic or, illness, or even yeah. you know, even uh, you know, uh, older saints, right, who who can't gather. Yeah, the elderly who are right. Yeah, bedridden. But, but right, so it's a gift that they can they can watch it online and hear the preaching of the word. Um, but we have to reserve something very special and sacred mm-hmm. uh, about what it means to be the church, what it means to, to physically gather together. And I do think, you know, a pandemic has has clarified for us the gift that the church is. Because I don't know, you know, if, if, you're, if you're like me, what, you know, for those months that we didn't gather uh, and, and you know, we, we kind of went online and we, we could hear the preaching, thank, thank the Lord for that. But my family and I, we missed mm-hmm. gathering mm-hmm. with the people. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. sitting at home and just being sad because I'm missing out on being with my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family, mm-hmm. where where we can hear the word and we can mit- and speak the word mm-hmm. to one another. And so, you know, I think that's why why God gave it to us like that, so that so that a family can gather together week in and week out, and, and encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, speak the truth and love to one another, admonish one another, encourage. You know, all these kinds of things that that God designed us to do as we gather. Uh, week in and week out for the preaching of the word as we gather. The church. I think it's one of the um, blessings of the pandemic. Really, mm-hmm. is man, what a reminder to us. We're not built to live this life in isolation, mm-hmm. live it alone, right? We're not to um, relate to one another through a screen, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we 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 long again to be together, and we all have read and seen. Um, what occurred through the pandemic as people were isolated, just the mental um, health problems that plagued our nation, uh, the loneliness, the anxiety people had. Why? Because they weren't gathering together and able to fellowship and be with one another. And we're we're built to do that. And so in the church, it is, it's the called out ones, it's the gathered assembly. Mm -hmm. And so to just simply, I agree with Oren, we do that, we offer, you can watch our online services. We do that for those who are sick or um, have to travel or are gone, but it's not a substitute. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. you're not a part of Watermark if you just simply live at your lake house and watch online or are traveling and catch it when you can, or that's, you're not a member of this church. You're not a part of the body and the life of the church that uh, the Lord would have for you. Any more than when I watch the Cowboys, I'm a member of the Dallas Cowboys. No, I'm not. I'm just watching them on TV. I have have no part in the health or the blessing or the benefit of being a Dallas Cowboy. Okay. Isn't it something beautiful when people from, you know, old, young, married, unmarried, uh, uh, different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, when they gather together and, and they take of something like the Lord's Supper, right, where they partake of the bread and the cup together, it's it's a strange thing that the world looks on. It's kind of like maybe mm-hmm. Jesus said, You'll, they'll know you by your love because as we come together and, and there's all these different kinds of people, we're like in a, in a normal world, 
why would why would people like that gather together mm-hmm. and sacrifice of themselves, of their time, of their finances, of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Why would they sacrifice to come together? It's because only the gospel can do that. And that's and, the beauty of the church. Amen, brother. And where you see the world so divided mm-hmm. and at war with each other and angry with each other, the church is the place hopefully the world looks at and goes, now, wait a minute. Yeah. I see black and white gathering. I see rich and poor gathering. I see healthy and sick gathering. I see young and old gathering. And what unites y'all? Like, and how do you love the other, you know, in, in such a way? It, it should be a marvel. It should be a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, too often, it's not. Yeah. All right. So what I'm hearing you saying is the church is designed to gather. And part of that is that it's a showing of our unity. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if we primarily attend church online, we're not really attending church. That can be used for a supplement in certain stages of life or, or situations, but the church is designed to gather in person. Is that what right. I'm I'd say if you're watching online, you're just simply watching a service. That's what you're doing. You're not a part of the body, the active um, part of the local body. Okay. If that becomes a substitute for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Y'all, we cover a lot of content today. <laughs> and I, oh, I bet can, we could do another episode on it. Oh, as a matter of fact, we can, Oren. I'm so glad you <laughs> Why don't you give us a little bit of a teaser of what part two, we just finished part one, what part yeah. two is going to look like. Yeah, so part two, we're just going to drill down a little bit deeper uh, and uh, and get more specific in terms of, uh, you know, may, maybe one of my favorite movies, uh, Nacho Libre. We're going to get to the nitty gritty. And uh, of what Watermark does. We just went from a hundred-word definition of the church to Nacho Libre. Yes, that, I love just, that, that describes my life right that is there. Orange, yeah. Martin in a so, so how do we practice these things as we seek to be a faithful church? Okay, awesome. All right, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Watermark Equipping Podcast. Um, be sure to join us back for part two coming up soon. And until then, have a great week of worship. <laughs>